The book of Acts is full of miraculous stories, fantastical actions, amazing feats. That's what this series of sermons this summer is about, amazing acts. Some of the things that the apostles do in the book of Acts are so spectacular that they're difficult for us to relate to. Speaking in tongues, casting out demons, giving away all their possessions, traveling all over the known world to spread the name of Jesus. These are things that are not part of everyday existence for most of us. The amazing act in today's story, though, is something quite simple. The amazing action in today's story is really more a lack of action. The most amazing thing that Paul and Silas did in this case was to just stay put to stay where they were and not leave. Sometimes that's all it takes to spread the faith. Of course, staying in their case was not as simple as I'm making it sound. They were in a difficult and dangerous situation. They were facing circumstances that would cause most people to flee as quickly as possible without a second thought. Staying in their case took deliberation and intention. It took a lot of faith to stay. Being able to stay put took much prayer and the intervention of the Holy Spirit. And because Paul and Silas were able to do that, because they were able to stay put when most anyone else would have fled, the gospel continued to spread and the church continued to grow. Let's back up and see what were the circumstances that got Paul and Silas into this situation and how they responded to it. You've already heard from the scripture reading that they were in prison. They were not in prison for preaching Jesus as Peter and the other apostles had been several times already. The source of the conflict here was not religious in nature, but economic. Paul had cast a spirit out of a slave woman her owners were upset because they couldn't use her as a fortune teller anymore to make money off of her. That's not the charge that they brought against Paul and Silas. The charge that they brought against them was that they were disturbing the peace of the city, that they were Jews who were advocating customs that went against the Roman law. All of that was just an excuse. The people who brought those charges didn't really care what Paul and Silas were teaching. They cared that they had taken away their means of profit off of their possessed slave girl. That's often the way economics is the engine that runs the world. People are free to believe whatever they want to believe, say whatever they want to say. But when they start messing with your pocketbook, watch out. Paul and Silas weren't trying to mess with anyone's pocketbook. They were simply trying to spread the gospel. But the spirit within this slave girl was making her go around and keep getting in their way. So Paul, very much annoyed, the Bible tells us, cast out the spirit. The girl's owners, upset that Paul had taken away their means of profit, brought charges against Paul and Silas that they were disturbing the peace of the city, advocating things against Roman law, all that Paul and Silas were trying to do was preach the gospel. And because of these false charges, they were presented with a unique opportunity to spread the gospel in ways that they would not otherwise have had. 
I can't say that they did that on purpose. They didn't arrange to get arrested so that they could share Jesus with the prisoners and the guards in the Philippi prison. They hadn't planned it out that way. Paul's intention was to go on preaching about Jesus without interference. That's why he cast out the spirit. He was trying to remove an interference, an annoying slave girl that kept shouting out over his sermons. But when that caused another interference, getting arrested, beaten, thrown in prison, he didn't resist. He easily could have. Paul could easily have resisted being treated the way he was treated, simply by informing the authorities that he was a Roman citizen. Being a Roman citizen came with certain rights and privileges. A Roman citizen had the right to a trial. He could not be beaten or flogged unless first found guilty by a court. Paul and Silas were beaten just on the presumption of guilt. Most Jews were not Roman citizens. The magistrates of Philippi had no way of knowing that Paul might be a Roman citizen, unless he told them. If Paul had told the magistrates right up front that he was a Roman citizen, he would have been treated quite differently. He might still have been arrested. He might still have been put in prison to await a trial, but he would not have been beaten. He would not have been flogged. He would have been shown some modicum of respect, at least the presumption that he might be innocent, that the charges against him needed to be proven before he could be punished. But Paul didn't tell them. Why didn't Paul tell them he was a Roman citizen? Why, why did Paul remain silent about his citizenship when revealing it would have afforded him certain rights and privileges? I think it's probably because he knew that most other Jews, and likewise most Christians, did not possess those same rights and privileges. And it was more important for him to identify with them than with the Romans, even if that meant enduring certain torture, even if it meant receiving a beating that he could easily have avoided by invoking his rights. Because if his fellow brothers and sisters in Christ didn't have those protections, he wasn't about to put himself above them. He was going to endure the same things they endured. He was going to face the same things they had to face, that they had no way to avoid. He was going to identify with their sufferings, even as they all identified with the sufferings of Christ. This past Tuesday, the, our, our faith community food pantry truck was in the Liberty Township Fourth of July parade. Laura and I and several others from the church walked alongside the truck in the parade. Now, one of the members who walked with us, whom I shall not name, confessed to me that he had been trying to decide whether or not he was going to walk in that parade with us. He kept, kind of felt like he should. He wanted to support the church. But walking two miles in the blazing heat on a holiday morning, not something he was sure he wanted to do. And then I preached this sermon last Sunday about having to suffer for your faith and being willing to suffer for Christ. And he said, all right, I'll do it. I was suffering a little bit myself, actually. The, the walking was not an issue for me, but getting up early and dealing with heat are two things that I do not do well. I don't mean to be facetious. I am aware that 
having to get up out of bed early on a holiday and walking two miles in the heat is, are pretty trivial things when compared to the kind of suffering that Christ endured, the kind of suffering that the early apostles endured. But then again, these are the kinds of things that we face, that, that we take into consideration when deciding how we will exercise our faith. These are the kinds of things that we care about and that we sometimes let prevent us from doing what the Spirit is calling us to do. Paul didn't even try to avoid the pain, the beatings that he could have legitimately avoided. It was far more important for him to identify with Christ and other Christians. Exercising his faith was such a great matter to him that he refused to exercise his rights and privileges that were not shared by others. He faced the same attacks. He endured the same floggings that could not be avoided by others. So that he could remain in solidarity with the entire body of Christ. So that he too could live like Christ and make Jesus known in his own body. Paul and Silas were harassed. They underwent severe flogging. They were beaten with rods. They were locked away in the innermost cell of the prison, their feet bound in stocks. And it was there, in that most painful and most unjust position, that Paul and Silas sat at midnight singing hymns and praying out loud. And Luke tells us the other prisoners were listening to them. The other prisoners could hear them. What did they hear? They didn't hear complaints about the unfair treatment. They didn't hear cursing at the men who had beaten them and the tyrants that had locked them away. They didn't hear grumbling about their pain and suffering. What the other prisoners heard was singing. They heard prayer, prayer of thanksgiving to a God who continued to watch over them, prayer of supplication for the very people who were torturing them, Songs of wonder to a God who has the whole world in his hands. Songs of praise to a God who loves even them. Them. These men who were unfairly arrested, unjustly beaten, locked in a dungeon like miscreants and thieves, they knew that God loved despite all appearances to anyone else. They knew that God was with them, even in that dark and dingy cell. And they sang out in joyful praise. The other prisoners heard them. The guards heard them. What impact do you think that made? These are people, the the other prisoners and the guards, these are people who never would have heard the testimony of Paul and Silas had those two men not been put through the ringer as they were. But then, after they had been put through the ringer, in fact, while they were still in the ringer's tight grasp, 
they offered a joyful expression of trust in God. If the guards had come upon Paul and Silas on the streets, they wouldn't have thought twice about what these men were preaching. But to hear them preach it in here, in these conditions, under these circumstances, well, that meant something. When John Wesley was traveling across the Atlantic on his return trip to England, following an unsuccessful stint as a missionary in Georgia, this, the ship that he was on was beset by a terrible storm. The way he describes it, it might almost have been a hurricane. He was certain that the ship was going to go down. He and everyone else on board were going to die. John Wesley discovered in that moment that he was terrified of death. There were a group of Moravians aboard that same ship. Moravians were a sect of pious German Christians. While the storm raged and, and Wesley feared for his life, the Moravians sat calmly together, singing hymns, holding a prayer meeting. Wesley was astounded by what he witnessed that day. He had heard Moravians sing before. He had heard Moravians pray before. But this was different. On any other day, these might have been moving songs and touching prayers. But on that day, in those conditions, under those circumstances, those moving songs and touching prayers offered with such peace, in such faith, at such a trying time. That was a powerful witness. Wesley realized that he had not yet experienced true faith. That there is more to being a Christian than believing the right doctrines and living a righteous life. That faith is a divine assurance that brings peace in all times of trial and allows our hearts to rest on God. Be still and know that I am God. Those words come to us from Psalm 46, which we heard read in worship this morning. Be still and know that I am God. But the same psalm that tells us, be still and know that I am God, also talks about, though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. It tells us the nations are in uproar, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, and the earth melts. None of that is comforting. This is not a calm lake. This is not a peaceful prairie. This is danger and tumult and uncertainty and change. And in the midst of all of that, be still and know that I am God. That's what the Moravians were doing during that storm at sea. And it made a lasting impact on John Wesley. It's what Paul and Silas were doing in that cell on that dark and torturous night, and it made an impact on those who heard. And then something happened that made an even bigger impact. 
An earthquake shook the foundations of the prison. The doors of the prison flew open. All of the chains fell off. The jailer was knocked unconscious. Paul and Silas were free to go. But they stayed. They stayed. There was literally nothing stopping them from getting up and just walking out of that jail cell. And if they had, everyone who believed in God would have said that's exactly what God intended for them to do. When Peter had been locked up in prison, on more than one occasion, God sent an angel to free him. Here are Paul and Silas singing hymns, praying to God. And just as they're doing that, an earthquake miraculously sets them free. An answer to prayer, right? God is letting them go. Well, it was an answer to prayer, but not just for Paul and Silas. Also for the jailer. This didn't happen just to free Paul and Silas from prison. This also happened to free the jailer from sin and eternal death. Because when he came to and realized that they had stayed, and that they had stayed for no other reason but out of concern for him. That is what convinced him that they had the key to salvation. The jailer was about to kill himself. That's what was expected of him if prisoners escaped on his watch. Either he could kill himself and die in honor, or he could be executed in disgrace for dereliction of duty. Either way, he was going to die if the prisoners escaped. But they didn't escape. They stayed. Inexplicably, they stayed, even though the walls and doors no longer held them inside, even though the chains no longer bound them, they stayed so that the jailer need not die. And so that they could witness to him that he might live forever. If he had heard Paul and Silas witnessing out on the street, he wouldn't have thought twice about it. Hearing them witness in the jail cell, after being unjustly arrested and tortured, that meant something. That made an impact on him. But then when they stayed, even when they didn't have to, when they put their very lives on the line for him, for the man who was holding them prisoner so that they could be persecuted some more the next day, that convinced him. Sometimes staying put is the most radical and faithful thing a person can do. Because of their amazing act of staying in that cell, the jailer was saved. He and his entire household were saved. When the jailer asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The answer came quick and simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's as simple as that. Some of the older translations say, believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. 
I kind of like that better, actually. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Faith isn't just an intellectual endeavor. It's a life orientation. Salvation doesn't come from believing the right thing. It comes from trusting the right person. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Lean on the Lord Jesus. Build your life on the Lord Jesus. Place everything you have and all that you are on the Lord Jesus. He will not let you down. He is a gracious and loving God. He is a strong and faithful God. He knows you more than you know yourself. He loves you more than you can possibly love yourself. Believe on the Lord Jesus. Stay with him no matter what. And you will be saved. Thanks be 